Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. That is the one and only voice of Batman. That's right, Kevin Conroy. This episode is sponsored by Radar Toys, my favorite shop right here in Eugene, Oregon. You can shop RadarToys.com and save 10% using the code BATFANPOD. That's B-A-T-F-A-N-P-O-D. Shipping is free in the U.S. and save 10% with BATFANPOD. All right, without further ado, this is the preview episode. If you come back every other Friday, I will have my co-hosts, Ben and Evan, but this is the preview about my trip to meet Michael Keaton. Hey everybody, it's Sammy Warmhands, the Dark Knight of Rap. This is the Bat Fanatic Podcast. Now, you might know me from the Take 92 Podcast. I've been doing that for a few years. But since I was four years old and I first saw Batman in 1989, 1990 on VHS, it's been my favorite shit ever. Okay? So a while back, I started my own Instagram at Bat fanatic, but I'd spelled bat fan addict because I am addicted to this shit. I love it. I consume it. I can't get enough. And I decided at this point, instead of doing random episodes that don't go on the music podcast, I'm going to start this right here. Genuine Batman only content. This is the Bat Fanatic podcast. All right. That little intro clip was from a 2008 album formed a group called the illusionists with a capital ill i worked with a dude who was a drummer and a beat maker and he had never released any of his music he was way into public enemy and the beastie boys and we really got along on that level i said hey have you ever sampled the batman soundtrack from danny elfman because that's both of our favorite he said he saw it like 13 times in the theater or something like that he said no i've always wanted to And the next day, I brought him the CD, the original soundtrack that I had, and he chopped it up, and it blew my fucking mind. It was everything that I had hoped for and and so much better. And he asked me if I wanted to rap on it, and so we started a group just from that. Later that year, I got married, and I walked down the aisle to the main theme of Batman 89. You know, through my life, it's been a, a... part of who I am and and the past couple years I would see these amazing like action figures and stuff I mean I guess I started collecting Hot Wheels again in like 2008 and and the the movie masters Mattel figures in about 2008 for the Dark Knight but yeah that was really kind of a, a gradual thing and and I've I've gone all in and I started my Bat Fanatic page it's been really fun you know it's something that I can just do for fun that doesn't have to go somewhere and I don't have expectations and it's just a thing that I've always loved. Like I was talking to Justin from Epic Film Guys and it's just comfort food. It's if you have a, a bad day or if there's a death in the family or if you're having a great day or whatever, you, you put on Batman or you put on the animated series or something like that. You know, it's just your feel good shit. Here I am a Batman fan. That is my intro to this. But I want to tell you about my weekend, because I just flew in. It's 1.27 a.m. right now. Man, Michael Keaton, the Batman, or is it just Batman? Your choice, of course. Did his first ever Comic-Con appearance. I'm in Eugene, Oregon. His appearance was in San Antonio, Texas. 
pretty much the moment I heard about it, I decided I was going to do it. I'm terrified of flying. Like, for example, earlier this year, I was supposed to play South by Southwest for like the fifth time or something in Austin, Texas. And I was terrified. I, I, I always get anxiety building up towards the flight. I didn't want to deal with it for like two weeks. I couldn't sleep every night. I was just rattled and I kept thinking I was going to die. Like every time I go fly somewhere, I like put my current album I'm working on like on my desktop and leave that shit up there just in case the plane goes down. You can release the music that I am trying to finish here. Like I'm that scared of flying. And when I found out first week of October, my wife had wanted to go to Hawaii forever. And so for our 20th anniversary, we went and we're at the airport and I see this announcement, Michael Keaton coming to Alamo City Comic-Con. And I'm like, holy shit. Like if I just managed to fly over the Pacific Ocean to a little fucking island and I felt pretty good. For some reason, I had got myself in the right state of mind and we had gone to Hawaii I see this announcement. I'm like, man, if I handled this, I can fly to Texas one more time. So you could either get the autograph, the photo, or the VIP. Now, recently, I was kind of reminded when my friend Taylor gave me an autograph from Tim Armstrong from Rancid, and he was working on his documentary called Pick It Up about ska bands. Great film, by the way. Check that out. It just came out on DVD and Blu-ray. That kind of reminded me, wow, I have a lot of science CDs. I should pull some of these out and put them on display. My band was working with this artist named Winston Smith, who had worked on uh, a couple of my favorite classic punk albums. And one of them was Dead Kennedys in God We Trust Incorporated. I mailed it to him. He signed it for me. And I framed it right up there. And then I was at Rose City Comic Con in Portland two months ago, maybe less even. There's all these autograph booths, and I would go up and say, hey, you got any Batman stuff? And they'd be like, yeah, we got Kilmer. I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, we got Clooney. Yeah. Yeah, we got Adam West. Yeah. And I don't mean, eh, like, Adam West meant a lot to me growing up, but it's not something that I can watch really as an adult. It's just not my thing. But... I would always be, oh, you got Keaton? No. You got Bale? No. You got Affleck? No. And then there was one booth in the back corner of Rose City Comic Con. I look and he has this great 11 by 14 photo from The Dark Knight Rises signed by Christian Bale. Beautiful, matted, framed, awesome. Talked to the guy for a minute. He tried to pitch me on a layaway and I left. Couldn't handle it. Nah, I'm not going to spend that much money. That's stupid. And then I came back like an hour later after lunch and uh, we came to a deal. After that, my folks bought me uh, just a couple weeks ago on my birthday, this autograph, Tim Burton, 8 by 10 of him standing on top of the Batmobile on the 89 set. I was blown away. I was like, this is the greatest gift that you've ever given me. It's fucking crazy, right? And so now I got the autograph itch. That's what I'm trying to say. And so they announced the things you can get meeting Michael Keaton. And I thought, shit, I got to get that autograph and hang it next to my Tim Burton I just got. Because once again, as that collector owner, the owner of that shop in Oregon City, he's like, nah, no Keaton. 
Good luck trying to find that. So here he is in the flesh. I got to go. And then they offer a VIP pass that gets you both of those things and early access. It's not discounted. It's just as much money. It's not that good of a deal. But it lets you be first in line. And if I'm going to travel all this way, got to get a picture with the dude. Why not? I even asked them in the comments. Like, I went and met Weird Al at Rose City Comic Con. I just wanted to get an autograph. But at the booth, they were like, oh, you can add a selfie with your cell phone for X amount of money. And I was like, oh, great. I'll do that. So I got a photo and an autograph for actually a really good price. So I asked, is there a selfie option we can add on to the autograph? And they're like, nope, this is a high demand celebrity appearance. Can't do it. I'm like, fuck. All right. And so I did the VIP. I figure if I'm going to make this trip, I want to have all of the things I can to commemorate it. Right. And so Friday I fly out. This is November 1st. And there have been a lot of changes at Alamo City Comic Con, and it seemed like kind of a clusterfuck. I don't know about years past, but in the month that I had heard of it, they changed venues entirely after I had already booked my room, and then they changed the date that he was appearing. He was Sunday only, and so everyone bought their flights based on that because people were coming from all over the country, maybe even the world, I don't know, but I met people from all over the country coming to this appearance. And a lot of people had to change their flights because Keaton's appearance moved to Saturday. And luckily, I got in late Friday, so it wasn't a, a problem for me financially. I got to my room, got a little bit of sleep, and, and went to the place. And uh, it was kind of a mess. People were starting to get the impression of like, oh, this isn't a meet and greet. This literally is a photo. Like we're all herded into these lines in this little maze. And as they're about to open the doors, they say, okay, this is a photo. You will stand there and take the picture. This is not the time to tell them your life story. Do not hug. Do not handshake. Do not this and that and the other. And we're all looking at each other like, what the fuck? just happened. We just paid all this money to, and you got to just stand there. They're like, you know, find your mark. Look at the camera. Not time for conversation. And we're like, what is happening? And then come to realize, like, they didn't say anything about autographs. I'm standing around people who got, they got their bat suit on. They got their Batmobile in their hand. They got their poster tube in their hand. They got all this stuff to sign. I brought an eight by 10 that I ordered on eBay from Batman Returns. We all got this stuff to sign. We got the VIP passes and they don't mention the autographs at all. They're just telling us like, shut the fuck up, get in line, get in and get out. And so I call out like, what about the signatures? He goes, oh, you're going to have to go downstairs and get in another line for autographs. I'm like, what the fuck? So go in there. They're just hurting us. Like anything you have put on this shelf right here, you'll get it on the way out. You stand here. You get up. Okay, you're next. Stand up. Move. And and I mean, they're just like shoving people through. Uh, people were giving him shit because Keaton had sunglasses on, but he was also getting flash photography every 20 seconds for like 100 people in a row. So I that, I honestly, I understand. I wasn't mad about that. 
But, you know, I stand up there. He's still just facing the camera. He's not facing you. You're not approaching him at a table or something. You're not approaching him from the front. You're approaching him from the side. They're feeding us in. They move the one guy out of the way. They move you in his place, and they snap the photo. So he's not even looking towards you when you walk up there to go, like, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. This is so cool. You know, even though you only have a few seconds, you could at least have that. But no, it's like they just kind of shove you right next to him. You're both facing ahead at the camera, not looking at each other. And then they snap it and they're like, all right, get the fuck out of the way. Next, next. And so all I could say was, thank you, Mr. Keaton. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he replied to that. I don't even remember. It was such a blur. It was just like a, you know, yeah, you're welcome, man, or something like that. Grab my things. I walk out. They hand you the eight by 10. Of course, they don't, even with the VIP pass, they didn't offer to like, send you a digital copy. You know, everyone wants to put their shit on social media. So like, we're all like taking pictures of our glossy photo, trying to not get any glare on it so we can post it, you know, for our friends and shit, which I thought like, I mean, come on, if we're going to drop a bunch of money on the VIP, like give us the digital copy guys. So then we go, got to go immediately to the next line. Cause there's a shitload of people there, even for the VIPs. And after the VIPs are through, then the general people with their, photo ticket or their autograph ticket went in after you. And so got to hustle down to the next level, get back in line for another 45 minutes or an hour. Once again, they're like, okay, have your things ready. You hand them to us. We hand them to him. He signs it. We give it back to you. I'm like, what the fuck? And they had all these eight by tens out on a table as you're about to go in there. Uh, I'm like, oh, they got Beetlejuice. They got this cool one of uh, of him and Jack Nicholson. And they got, oh, this one, like, of him standing outside of the burning Axis chemicals. Like, I wanted to get that. That was one of the 8x10s I almost uh, eBayed. I couldn't find a good quality version of it. So, you know, I'm grabbing a couple of those. The guys around me are, you know, grabbing the ones they like. And the employees come up and like, hey, these are only for people who didn't bring something and need something to be signed. Like, you guys already brought stuff, so you can't take them. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, I can't take an 8 by 10 And then upon looking at them closer later, they're like clearly just downloaded from a Google image search. They're just pixelated-ass photo enlarged onto a really nice cardstock paper. So already there's just so many things <laughs> to be dissatisfied with. And then, you know, they usher you into the room, million people ahead of you, million people behind you. You hand the employee your thing to be signed. He hands it to Keaton. As he was about to put the pen down, I said, oh, could you make it out to Sam? Because a lot of these people probably just want to resell the shit. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to meet the dude from my favorite movie ever that I love so much. And honestly, not just that, but one of my favorite actors, period. I mean, uh, I, I love Spotlight. I love Birdman. I love The Founder a lot. I mean, so many of his movies. I really wanted the interaction and I wanted it personalized to me, like the autographs I've collected in person usually are. And the employee, like, he hesitated for a second, and the employee goes, oh, no, we don't do personalization, sorry. And then he signs his thing, hands it to me. I'm like, okay, 
Uh, and I was just so stunned. Like I didn't even know what to say. I just took it and left. Like I didn't even, maybe I said, thank you. But I mean, we didn't speak. I don't even know if he looked at me. I can't even, yeah, it was weird. They had a little, uh, table out there. You could get your certificate of authenticity. And I thought, well, shit, since it wasn't made out to me, then maybe I will get that thing because if anything happens to me and my wife needs to sell all my Batman shit, you know, probably be worth a lot more if it had that. So then we get in line for the panel. He's going to speak for the audience and the VIPs get a front row seat. So that was cool. And as I'm waiting, I meet this guy, Justin. I think I mentioned him earlier, Epic Film Guys podcast. We had just met in a Facebook group after this whole thing was announced I checked out his podcast. Uh, he had done a Joker review. I had done a Joker review on the Take 92 podcast. Uh, the guy in front of him is a heavy metal Batman, and he showed us a picture. He came in full costume and got the, the 89 bat suit standing with Michael Keaton in his photo. I thought that was pretty badass. And uh, then he took that photo to the autograph and had him sign that picture, which I thought was really clever. Uh, super cool guy. Met a lot of nice people at this thing this weekend and um i took some solace in this third part and that was that we might not have had much of an interaction but at least we get to see him speak you know and i'm not from la or new york where you can probably just pop into like the tonight show or something as an audience member and get to see these people but we were all kind of bummed out in line about how we didn't get any time and how they sold so many and I really I think that that is the problem is that they sold so many and they only had a very short window for him to do it he had like two hours before the panel and I think he did two hours after that and then that was it so I, I really think they just sold too many people were saying that he didn't seem very comfortable with the situation. I mean, I know another guy who had to change his flight, the Bayside Batman on Instagram. And I don't know if he really didn't want to be there or if he was just overwhelmed. I think a lot of it, though, was that they just overbooked. I mean, you can't have an interaction when there's 500 people in the lobby snaking around in a giant line. I mean, you just can't do it. So as much as it was like, ugh, I... Came all this way, I thought I thought for a week every night when I'm going to sleep, like, oh, what do I want to say to this dude? You know, like, uh, everyone's going to come up and they're going to drop their movie quote or they're going to say, oh, I love Batman or Beetlejuice or whatever. But, like, you know, what's the thing that can make for a genuine interaction? And so, like, all week long, I, I as I'm going to sleep, I'd be thinking about, oh, should I tell him I walked down the aisle at my wedding to the Batman song? Or, oh, you know, maybe I'd tell him, in a funny way, in a roundabout way, you know, Batman, Burton, Keaton, Elfman, that crew is responsible for my accidental rap career. I never thought that was going to be a thing, but if I hadn't done that with my friend Gabe, then I wouldn't have started that group, which led me to Idea, which led me to all these tours and albums and being a solo artist and all of the friends that I have now, so many of them I either met or became close with during or after The Illusionist. And so I knew his son was a music producer or a songwriter or something. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe you get a kick out of that. Like, oh, you know, you through kind of a domino effect were 
responsible for the last 10 years of my career, 11 years of my career. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I thought, so that was kind of going to be my angle, but show up there and we don't get afforded that time to speak. And so I just like a lot of us felt like what happened, but what made up for it to me and again, not fully, because I mean, I'm I'm not here to complain about it. I'm just telling you the story of what happened and, and how a lot of people felt about it. There's been some backlash online. Like I found my own picture uh, and Justin's too on a, a Reddit thing that a friend shared to me. Like they were making fun of him like, oh, Michael Keaton cast as a cardboard cutout, you know, because he's just standing there in all these photos. And... You know, it kind of bums me out because, you know, we're all there as fans to celebrate the dude and what his work means to us. And so we're not trying to shit on him, even if we had mixed feelings about it. You know, you can't just pin on one person. You can't pin it all on whether or not he was interested in having those conversations. You can't pin it on, you know, the demand was there. If more people wanted to to buy and he's never done one of these before, then, well, why, w- why would you cut it off? I don't, I mean, so I, I get it on both sides. It's just a lot. It was too much in too little time, you know? So the panel was a silver lining and we got to sit down, have a front row seat to a 30 minute, Q&A, and I thought it was going to be a, an audience Q&A because there was a microphone sitting right next to me in the middle aisle, and turns out that must have been for panels that were before or after ours because once again, right before it starts, the employee comes out. He's like, all right, there will be no fan questions, no photos, no video of any kind. I'm like, God damn, what is with all the fucking rules here? Like, it just, it felt so strict. It didn't feel inclusive, you know? And so what I did, I thought, well, you said no photos and you said no video. Well, I've got a motherfucking podcast. So the genesis of this second podcast the Bat Fan Attic Podcast, is this mistake in wording. They said no photos and no video. So what I did is the moment that it seemed like it was about to start, I placed my phone on my lap and I turned on the voice recorder. And it's maybe not the best audio. It's not coming from the soundboard or anything, but it's serviceable and you can hear the whole thing. So... I edited it just a little bit for pacing and flow like I do every other podcast that I do, but this is in full the Michael Keaton panel at Alamo City Comic Con. Uh, Please share it far and wide. I think for the most part, if you're a diehard fan, you've heard a lot of these questions and answers before, but there was some cool shit in there that I thought, and There were some things that maybe was told a little differently than other times I've heard it, Uh, but there's some fresh things as well. So 
Forgive me for not knowing the moderator's name. I did not plan on this being part of my show. I thought of it very last minute as it was happening. But this is Michael Keaton in San Antonio, Texas, Alamo City Comic Con. Bootleg edition. What's going on, Alamo City Comic Con?
Tim, the other subject cut the hat was me and the clothing. So, so, so that character just, that didn't feel uncomfortable at all. In fact, I'm weird enough to say that felt comfortable. <laughs> but the Batman thing was a different situation because that was very specific. It was very specifically designed. And I just showed up and they said, this is what it's going to be. And it, uh, it was very difficult because that was the first one. And really, we only had it. It only, we didn't know if it was going to work until literally the day before I started shooting. And even on the first couple of days, it wasn't really functioning properly and it was impossible to move in. And I'm a claustrophobic person. Uh, so that really was tough. But what I, I had no choice, you know, and I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Uh, so I, I used that, as actors like to say, but, I, but it, it worked beautifully. Because you also couldn't hear very well in your sight, you know, confined and you were restricted in your movements, like being in a straitjacket, and I thought, this is great, this makes me go even deeper into his sense of being alone. It was just perfect, so then the physical moves Tim and I worked out, because if, if you moved a certain way, you'd look ridiculous. <laughs> so the movements became very, you know, real powerful. So I just, you know, like I said early on, just worked the suit, man. Has any of it changed? Because you, you have the, the bat suits from then um, to Birdman and Vulture. Is, has, how has costume design come well, up? Well, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's interesting. You're right. Because no. we had to be, well, first of all, now it's easy. You just, they just digitize everything. You <laughs> <laughs> almost don't have to wear anything anymore. So, but, but the Vulture thing, I'm proud to say, same measurements, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> they had a, you know, they digitally measured you, and then they built it, slid right in like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, you vultures are very cool outfit. It's very cool. And that, that's just, they just came to me and said, look at this, look at this, look at this. I just put them on, and I thought, this is awesome, this is great. Uh, you've shown an incredible range from, you know, outrageous physical comedy was a calling card for a while, to very dialogue-driven, dramatic. How do you prepare differently for various types of roles? Just like that, differently. <laughs> um, there's no... Well, I, I don't know, I don't think I have one. What well, probably have you know, the basic rule, rules that I go by, or laws that I go by. I mean, you do the work and you do the backstory. Didn't have a whole lot of backstory for Beetlejuice, frankly. <laughs> Just kind of, it was a, the great thing about doing Beetlejuice was you, would, you could never say, well, my character wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing was my character would do anything. So, um, I think there are basic things that go by, you know, but I always fall back on, you know, being stay in the moment, tell the truth, create your own little backstory about who you are, where you came from, what you want. But everything, everything is different. You know, you go from really like the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gene. Which the other, you know, what you do when you do movies like the other guys, you just try not to laugh all day long. <laughs> it's so much fun to work with those guys. Uh, so, so speaking of Beetlejuice, uh, contrary to what uh, others may have done in terms of wanting more focus and time, um, I've read that you gave feedback on kind of limiting uh, Beetlejuice's uh, screen time and, and maybe some of Batman's lines to kind of 
create an era of mystery. Uh, how do you think that putting the art first was important to creating the end result of those characters? Well, I mean, those are, and I, and I give, I give this, you know, well, I mean, I, I guess if somebody wants to give me some credit, I'll take it. But I, <laughs> but I give a lot of that to Tim Burton, who's you know my pal and my co-conspirator and, and, uh, and a true artist. He's, he's original, he's unique, and he's an artist. So it makes it easier, you know, when you're dealing with somebody like that. But if you had more Beetlejuice, it, it loses its it loses its flavor. You know, I think I think the character's only in the he's not in the movie very much, really. You know, it's Alec and Gina. And you know, because he's such an outlandish character, an outrageous character, he gets a lot of the attention. But when you go back and look at that, that's really a great cast in, in Beetlejuice. It's phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, absolutely funny. You know, even though it was, a, it was just, I was just written, and I thought their stuff was written really well. You know? oh, absolutely, and the talent in that cast. I mean, you you worked in a couple of really, really great, huge, talented casts. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I've been lucky. Um, I was wondering uh, how much of the finished character of Beetlejuice is Tim's original design on paper. Your, you know, dive into in character development, and then the combination between the two. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I said. It was not. It wasn't really. That wasn't really it. You know what I mean? It was kind of. There was something there, but there was enough there from Tim and I kicking around ideas, and he told me basically what he was trying to, to do. But uh, I mean, uh, uh, then I just, you know, started putting something together. You know, the, the voice, the walk, the the. You know, I don't know if people know this, but the teeth were just a little larger. Not only were they, you know, not attractive. <laughs> <laughs> they were um, just, I just, I remember thinking, there's something really kind of scary about the combination of being a little bit goofy, but like dangerous. That's just really scary to me, which I think is great. You know what I mean? If you ever run into anybody now and he's just a straight ahead bad guy, you go, <coughs> Scared, but she's also kind of fucking goofy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really scared. Because <laughs> you don't know what he's going to do. No, so there were little things, and then Tim and I, it, like, you know, when it, you know, I mean, I said this hundred times, but we didn't even, you didn't, we didn't even know the finish. He had already been shooting, and they were shooting in those tremendous sets he created, you know. The, a world he created, and they'd been shooting and shooting and shooting, and I, I wasn't even in the movie yet. And um, I put this, we, me and Dean Neal, the great makeup artist, and would say, Hey, Tim, we're gonna do this. What are you thinking? And like, yeah, or I'd come in and look, and go, Oh, yeah, that's a cool idea. I like that. Do more of this, or I want that. But we never saw it, I never uttered a, a line, I never did anything until we put the thing together, and we never rehearsed anything, there was no rehearsal. And I showed up, so I thought, wow, this is really out there. And, and this is either going to work, or it's, it's going to be so fun, it's going to be embarrassing. And as soon as I showed up, walked on the set, shot the first scene, and I just went off. Uh, I don't know kids are here. I'm trying to buy a bunch of my language, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, what I say when I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, by the way. No, really, I don't like to do that in front of kids. But when I kick the tree over and I say, Say it! Right. <laughs> like, that was it. I think we tried that the first day. So Tim saw it and just went, 
Yes. <laughs> he said, okay, wait, stop, do this, walk over here. When you go up there, turn around and, and move the camera angle. So he just jumped on board. But when I showed up, nobody had seen it or knew what it was going to be. And it just, we just hit it. But he, but he got it, you know, he saw it and then said, oh, okay, now it is. And then he just added to it and added to it and added to it. So you, you have a, a clear, incredible reverence for him. It sounds like you guys have a yeah. phenomenal relationship. What was it like when he first approached you for Batman? I totally got it. I mean, I, I, I he sent me a space hey, I, I want to talk to you. I mean, the students talked to me about doing uh, this movie. I said, cool, you know, and then he tells me what it is. I remember, I remember where we were sitting when he said, just, just go home and read this and then let, let's just talk. He, he started, he said, I don't even want to, as I recall, he didn't really want to even talk about it very much. He said, just, just read this, then I want to, I want to talk to you. So, you know, I went home and read it, and uh, uh, once again, that was one where I thought, boy, if this go, if this works, this is big. If it doesn't work, it's, it's a, it's dismal. It's, it's, a, it's gonna, it's gonna be embarrassing, but you know, whatever. So I went home and I read it, and I showed up and I said, well, I don't know, this will probably never work, but I said, well, you know, here's, here's my tank. He's clearly depressed. You gotta play deep inside. I went boom, 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 boom. I just went down the list thinking, Tim might, I don't know what he's gonna say, but the studio will never do this. And so I started talking about it, <laughs> you know, his hair. I just remember him sitting there listening to me and going like this. <laughs> his hair was going up and down. Because he was so excited, he said, yeah, he couldn't even talk. He said, yes, exactly, that's what I want to do. So, so, but I, but I didn't, you know, that's me talking about Bruce Wayne, really, and, and, and Batman takes a different discussion. But he had already seen, you know, and then, you know, he said, read, read the Frank Miller. Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight, which I didn't, I didn't even know it existed. And I thought, oh man, this is different. But he and I just got it immediately. You know, then 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 the doing of it was tough. A lot of pressure on him and everybody really. So in a lot of ways, I think Batman above all really kind of gave birth to everything. The, all of the praise. There was none of this about that. I mean, maybe this, but there was none of the all the other movies that he he, he turned it around. He turned totally, totally turned it around. Darker, more relatable, little grit, and just yeah, all that and the look he invented. You know, in in uh, you know all the people. Um, can't believe I'm forgetting his name now. The great set designer who passed away. Uh, Anton First. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Anton First. And those guys created something, a look that, you know, for a long time, if you go back and look at some of the movies that followed that, that black, that blue black, you know, that, that everybody kept saying, so dark, it was just, but it had that like, it was a kind of black, you know, the color, the, the blue, the, the deep blues and blacks, you know, and then the tone of things, and, that great score, you know. Yeah. Then, you know that Danny did. It, it it made people went, oh, I was to remember that. You know what I mean? And then and then that just turned. And I'm I'm you. There's no. I'm the least knowledgeable of anybody in this room. Trust me. Of, of all this stuff, you guys know 
way, 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 way more than I do about this culture, but I'm, I know enough to know that that started everything. Now, you've said in the past that uh, it was a, a big challenge to film that. It's a little more rewarding now that uh, it's been such a oh, cultural yeah, yeah. changer. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know, how hard can it be? It's not like I was working in a coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it's a high pressure thing. And it was, you know, I was mostly miserable doing it because I was alone and I just had a baby. And, uh, uh, you know, back then London was, you know, not what London is now, which is just great. It's kind of like, there were still guys walking around in literally bowler hats and like umbrellas, you know, like you know, uptight guys from the Victorian era who wouldn't even know. Like, you know, the, the place was so cold and damp and uptight, and I didn't know anybody. It was good for the character, though. <laughs> now it's a different place. It's like walking down, you know, Los Angeles. Um, was there anything, having been so synonymous with superhero? for a very long time. Is there something refreshing about taking on the villain of Vulture? Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, that these things are all just, you know, not just jobs like, oh, it's just a job. It's a job. I'm fortunate to get to do what I do, you know? So it's just, you know, somebody said, you want to play this guy? And I met with the director. He seemed cool. Thought it was a cool idea. <laughs> What's changed in kind of the, the superhero set from uh, from Batman to the, the modern MCU? I don't even know what the MCU is. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't totally cross that, that line, I guess. What is it? Uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, 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 oh. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not educated. No, I don't know what I'm not. <laughs> how have those, those sets kind of evolved over time? The physical sets? I, I couldn't. You're going to ask me wrong. I, I don't know. Sorry, I know that's a disappointment to you. Trust me, man. I, I, I don't. I look at the role and I go, yeah, that would be very cool to do. You know, and I'll do that and I'll just give it everything I got and then I just kind of move on to the next thing. <laughs> So, um, yeah, right? Uh, so we talked a little bit about uh, some of the strong ensembles that you've worked with. Uh, I mean, much to do about nothing, Beetlejuice, yeah. Batman, all of it. Um, how does it, it absolutely great. Paper. Yeah. How does it impact working with such a strong group? It's just like, you know, if you, if you show up and you're on a, you know, you're on a baseball team or a football team or a basketball team or a soccer team or anything, and you're playing with, your, your game just immediately goes up, you're in that environment, and then you want to keep up with it. So you have to be on your toes. There's not a second to be lazy. Also, there's a real respect, you know, that you want to, you want to give, it, give it everything. You know, that, that casting spotlight yeah. is and it's great, you know, for a, for a grim subject matter. This is often the case when I did Clean and Sober, you know. We had a great time. And I know that sounds weird. We had the most laughs on Spotlight because, I think, when you're dealing with that subject matter, you know, it, it, it's too much to, to, to let it drag you down, I think. So, you know, those guys are really funny dudes anyway. And, uh, you know, it's... it's that was one of my more enjoyable movies, you know, 
even though it was about a very, very dark subject. So let's go to a, maybe a less dark one, but uh, Much Ado About Nothing, what made that such a fresh experience? Because I never, it was, I may as well have been speaking Dutch. It's, it's literally another language that I was only familiar with because I think I had to take a Shakespeare class of thinking. Early on, really early on, when I was doing a couple of television shows or something, some casting director had seen me. And he really wanted me to go to uh, do this do theater in Denver, and they were doing, uh, I forget what Shakespeare play it was. Um, and I, my knowledge of Shakespeare was thin, and that's being generous. Um, so I wasn't a student or a scholar, certainly. So, the, you know, I went and read, uh, it wasn't Henry IV, I forget what it was, but I read it and I thought, oh boy, this is it. I ended up not doing it. So then, at some point, something came up, and I had an acting teacher, and I went to him and I said, hey, I need to learn uh, something from Shakespeare. So we worked on it and talked about it, and I thought, I found it really interesting, uh, really interesting. And kind of difficult. So then Brown comes to me and says, uh, Hey, I'm doing much about nothing, and I'm putting this cast together. I want you to do it. And I said, Okay. But I had seen his Henry V, which is so good. It's one of the great anti war movies. And it's really, I, 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 he had a threadbare budget, and, and that movie he shot, his first movie, was so good. And I was knocked out by it, and I said, I, I'm not your guy, I'm not a, I'm not a Shakespearean actor. And, um, and he said, no, no, I don't want anybody to be like that. And so he said, just read it with me. And I read it, and, and I, he told me who was going to be in the cast. I thought, oh boy, that's a good cast. You know, Denzel was going to do it. And he said, no, I want the Americans. I don't want the Americans. I don't want English accents. I don't want anything. And I said, okay. And I read it, and I thought it was horrible. <laughs> Truly horrible, I thought. There's no way I'm doing this. I said, no, 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 no. There was a woman who was a friend of mine, and she was a writer and a comedian uh, named Valerie Bronfield. And Val was, is, but her and her sister are like two of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And she's from Canada, and Danny Ackroyd was her partner for a while before Danny Ackroyd was doing Second City. I think before he was, they, they had a comedy act up in Canada. And I got to know Val, and she and I used to do these characters, these guys talking. <laughs> so I went home and I thought, you know, maybe this is a chance to use that guy. And there was a, there was kind of not, there's a little bit of an Irish thing in it, a little bit of a tiny little bit of baroque in it. And uh, I learned later that in fact a lot of Shakespearean actors, Shakespeare's actors, because really working class people were really attracted to his plays. There was a Celtic thing. Uh, in a lot of his plays. So I don't know, I just created this this thing and once again I came up with you know the horse, the fake horse thing and uh, and also my dad, you know, there was a guy in my neighborhood named uh, uh, named Jack Planick and he was uh, what they used to call Justice of the Peace. I don't even know if they have Justices of the Peace anymore. But he's kind of like, he's given them kind of like some authority, which is bullshit authority. <laughs> and this guy was kind of a bullshitter. <laughs> and he was kind of like a fake guy. And so I thought, yeah, I remember Jack Planick, I remember this guy. So uh, I thought about him, and I just invented the rest, and it was, to learn the language was so fun 
and difficult. I can tell you're thrilled because you're reading it at home. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how that came to be, and you know, we just invented. You know, I just, I don't know, I just, but you had to stick to the rules. That's what was great about it. It was such Shakespeare rule. Really yeah, nice. and you go, well, I can't really, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, improvise here. It is what it is, and you have to learn the language, like Birdman. We had to know every word. We had to know every single to be letter perfect. There was no risking in that movie. That is, you had to be spot on, you know, and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. Otherwise, you can't make that movie. And those are good, that's, that was a good lesson for me. I was getting spoiled by people letting me go off and invent stuff, you know, and it's really good to say, no, 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 you keep, you've got to stay in your lane. Very cool. So I have, I have one last question. Okay. Um, so, it's so funny to look back now, but, but there was a lot of skepticism when you were first cast as Batman because you were more known for comedic roles, and that Batman role is now the standard by which others are measured. Uh, you have any advice for actors that are facing the challenge of overcoming uh, typecasting, especially in today's social media age, or maybe anything particular for Robert Pattinson who's facing the same? It's hard now. It's always been hard, and it was something I was always really, really worried about. I just thought, well, you know, it'll catch up with me eventually. And so let me see how many different things I can do before it catches up with you, you know? And then, you know, and then eventually you just go, you know, people don't remember Paul Newman, or don't even know, Paul Newman was really a character actor, you know? If you look at his stuff when he was really young, he was playing with God, you know, he was playing really fun. They're the most fun. Role. And at some point, somebody must have said, dude, if you looked in the mirror, <laughs> you're like ridiculously good looking. This is like, you know, this is, you know, so it's always going to catch up with you. I just thought, if I get away with as many different things and many different genres as I can before I, people say stop it, just act like that. And I don't know that I've ever done it anyway, but, but I, I've managed to fool a lot of people for a long time. So it's harder now for everyone, I think. The younger actor because it's hard to dodge. You got to really, really work hard at disappearing into your role. You know, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is a monster. The dude is like unbelievable. You, you, I defy you to show up and go, oh yeah, there's Joaquin Phoenix. You just see the guy, you know, or Daniel Day Lewis, or uh, or uh, you know, guys like that. You just see the the person they're playing. It's yeah, hard. Disappearing to yeah, it's hard. It's very, very hard. Well, very cool. I, we're glad that you took a chance, because... Sorry for the cursing. Seriously, I don't know what the kids are about, sorry. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here at Alamo City Comic Con. Thank you so much for talking Okay, man. Thanks, thanks, thanks. So that's the show. I hope you don't mind the quality, but hey, where else are you going to get it? I was thinking on the fly, and... I captured one of the cooler moments of a pretty crazy weekend. So thanks for checking this out. Please subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and help spread the word. We're going to be back with my co-host Ben Polanski and Evan Vaught. We're going to talk live action films, animation, and comics every other Friday right here. You can go to bfapod.com and get our social media. We're at BatFanAddict on Facebook and Instagram. Special shout out to Pat Jensen, who absolutely killed it on the graphic design for our logo. Thank you again to Kevin Conroy on the intro, and we will be back 
with the Bat Fanatic Podcast.